Well, these are strange times, aren't they, when the fear of a recession is growing almost because the jobs market is too strong. The payrolls data from the United States didn't show any growing weakness, so that's heightened expectations for the Fed to keep going higher with interest rates, raising the chance of a recession. Even Europe is talking up the extent of their monetary policy, despite the expectation that energy prices will rise even higher. And speaking of inflation, we talk little else of anything these days. US CPI, middle of this week, plus the ECB, and nobody's entirely certain what they're going to do, because it's hardly a unified message we're getting from them, is it? It's Monday, the 11th of July, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, it wasn't a bad week for the Aussie dollar last week, up a third of 1% on Friday and almost 0.7% over the week. In fact, we're the only one of the G10 currencies to make any significant growth last week, apart from, of course, the US dollar, which was up 1.8% on the DXY, uh, although falling a little on Friday. The real action last week was certainly in bonds. Two-year treasury yields in the US lifted 27 basis points last week to 3.12%, one basis point behind five-year treasuries and four above 10 years. 10 years grew 20 basis points over the week last week, about the same as Italian 10 years. But the big move on Friday was the UK with their 10-year gilts up 10 basis points to 2.23%. So quite a bit of bond action last week. Equities remain a bit of a curiosity, don't they? The Nasdaq was up 4.6% last week. Not much on Friday, but uh, that's a big jump over the week. The big move on Friday was the DAX. It gained 1.3% on the day. Chinese stocks, though, not doing well at all. The CSI 300 down 0.8% last week. The Hang Seng down 0.6%. The ASX 200 up 2.1% over the week last week. And oil pushing higher, a 2.3% rise in Brent on Friday, back over 107 a barrel, but over the week down 4.3%. It was coal that was leading in the commodities race last week, up 6.6%. So let's look at the end of last week and a busy week ahead with Nabs Ray Atrell in Sydney, who's uh, told me to say nothing about the two bad-tempered men playing tennis in the searing heat of the British summer because he doesn't know how it ends. One of them did. Uh, I can tell you, it wasn't a draw. I can tell you that. So, um, and you'll find out shortly uh, who won. So, look, let's look at U- I will. Uh, U.S. bond yields rising a bit on Friday, uh, presumably because there is no easing of the pressure on the Fed now to keep on with their rate hikes. We had non-farm payrolls. It did nothing, did it, to tell us that uh, the uh, the job market was losing its tightness. Uh, so it's onwards and upwards for the Fed, I guess. Yeah, good morning. That was certainly the uh, the knee-jerk response, particularly in the bond market, to the um, to the various components of the payrolls report. And interestingly, that you know, so we had a sort of ten basis point plus jump in yields immediately following the um, the headline payroll number. So at uh, what was it, mm. uh, three hundred and seventy-two thousand was was almost a hundred thousand more than expected. Albeit there was a little bit of a, a net downward revision to the previous two months. Unemployment rate, 3.6, unchanged, as expected. Average early earnings, 0.3, as expected. But um, I think it was just the lack of any downside surprise that sort of cemented expectations that mm. um, the Fed's July 27th rate move is going to be another 75 basis points. And, um, you know, and, and you could look for a little bit of... Uh, and say weaker earnings growth being a silver lining, but you know at 03 percent on the month, it does suggest that annual earnings growth, you know, is going to be falling back from well below five percent. We had uh, what five point one percent as the um, as mm. the June reading at least. But overall, um, you know, if if a, a significantly weaker labour market is part of the solution to the U.S. inflation problem, then um, I think you're right. There was precious little evidence of it to hand on well, Friday. They, and 
And where the where the numbers were going down, it was in the government payrolls, wasn't it? So private payrolls actually went from three hundred thirty six thousand in May to three hundred eighty one thousand in June. So actually, uh, you know, you'd wonder about government payrolls. Isn't that a bit of a false construct? Because uh, you know they're obviously going to be down if uh, if if governments are trying to cut back because they're they're worried about tax coming in. But private payrolls going up is surely a sign of confidence in the economy. So actually, it means that the labour market is getting tighter. Well, potentially, yes. And uh, so, you know, your, your point's taken, at least anyway. And obviously, fiscal, you know, what were big fiscal um, tailwinds, you know, through 2020 uh, and obviously the, you know, the pandemic um, payments that were unleashed under the Biden administration, you know, are part of the problem as far as inflation is concerned. But at least fiscal policy has mm. been turned from from tailwind to headwind and uh, perhaps showing up also, as you say, in, in somewhat softer uh, public employment. And in both Canada and the US as well, we had this thing, and I think it was even more more, more the case in Canada, where, uh, you know, the people are just leaving, aren't they? You know, the, so the, the actual number of jobs were were down, but the unemployment rate in Canada didn't budge because people were just leaving the workforce. No, I mean, a big fall. The 60, so the participation mm. rate in Canada was 65.3 in May. It's down to 64.9%. So, uh, you know, as you say, 43,000 jobs lost, but uh, unemployment rate going from 5.1 to 4.9. And that was the... You know that was the headline that uh, that uh, grabbed the market's attention, and we've seen uh, market pricing for the Bank of Canada, which is on Wednesday, go up from yep. what seventy two and a half to actually just above seventy five basis points. So there's a little bit of you know, a minor bit of speculation that they could do uh, do a hundred. I think seventy five to us looks to be pretty much nailed on. So um, yeah, so yeah, overall the, the message of people leaving the labour force is is not really what. Um, you know what people want to see. You know Janet Yellen, for one, at the, at the Treasury has been saying that. Uh, you know the hope and expectation is that um, we will see more people coming into the labour force. But um, precious little sign of that. Uh, sign of that to date. The US uh, part rate, incidentally, was um, what sixty two point two from sixty two point three, and a bit lower than expected. So again, no sign yeah. of that as yet. In the US. Yeah, they want to try and bring people. They want to try and drag people back into. I mean, they're going to be knocking on the doors of the nursing homes if uh, it doesn't get any better, isn't it? Uh, so look, it looks like so. In, in Canada, they're looking at seventy-five and then probably fifty. That's about the, the expectation. So one hundred and twenty-five, isn't that over the next two meetings? Which is pretty much the expectation in the US as well, isn't it? We had uh, John Williams from the New York Fed saying uh, inflation is sky high. It's the number one danger to the overall health and stability of a, a well-functioning economy. Uh, all those words, basically, to yeah, to support the idea. Two big ones in a row, probably. No, absolutely. And we did have um, Raphael Bostic was also uh, was also out saying he backed a second seventy five basis point hike over this month because of the tremendous momentum in the economy. And uh, as I say, Williams didn't specify the, the size of the increase he'd like to see, but you know, given those those words you've just uh, you know you just uh, you've just spoken, that there's no doubt I think that he will be in the seventy five basis point camp. And uh, whereas the market the market's got um, you know I think seventy four basis points priced in from seventy one prior to the labour market report and you know historically the fed uh, you know won't back away from delivering what the market is priced for so um, mm. that looks like a, a bit of a, a lay down doesn't it so 125 in two meetings uh, seems fashionable because you've got robert holtzman i think he was basically suggesting the same thing in europe wasn't he for the ecb i mean that would really be seeing the ecb ramping up if it was to do that in, in the next two meetings? No, absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, we've, we've come to learn of that uh, Holtzman is, is the arch hawk on the ECB, so I'm not sure his, his views mm. are going to carry the day. But yes, as well as still um, advocating for 50, not 25, which is the sort of official 
ECB guidance, if you like. He said that um, if there's no sign of uh, of price pressures easing come the September meeting, then we should be contemplating 75 basis points, which, uh, you know, at the moment, the, you know, the, the, the official rhetoric, if you like, from Christine Lagarde, who did incidentally say that uh, she doesn't want to stop colleagues from speaking out on mm. monetary policy, uh, you know, is that it's 25 in, in July and, and a toss up between 50 and 25 in, uh, in September. So I think we can say that 75 over those two meetings is baked in the cake. But, um, you know, the chances of them, uh, you know, of 250 or you know maybe a you know a twenty five and then a, a fifty or seventy five is I don't think we can rule that out at this stage pending you know what happens on the inflation front between now and then yeah Christine Lagarde said uh, it helps with the robustness of their decision making process if uh, if well basically yeah. nobody agrees with each other what is she going to no, say she's going to say I told them all to shut up but they didn't listen to me <laughs> exactly. so uh, it's it's pretty <laughs> typical central bank speak really isn't it it is I love it we we love them for it don't we and in fact actually on that I don't know whether that was when's your birthday is that coming up sometime soon? No, or, it's not. Uh, not to the end of the year, thank you. But uh, I don't need Isn't to it? be reminding. I'm right. my tender age. But anyway, well, yeah, November. Because I... Because on on C, on the CNBC website, I think it's an old photograph. There's a picture of John Williams from the New York Fed uh, with a, a T-shirt uh, with the caption, monetary policy, it's data dependent. <laughs> uh, so I, I thought you'd love one of those for your birthday. So uh, bear that in I mind. I certainly anyway. prefer it to a MAGA cap. So uh, yeah, knock yourself out and send it across. <laughs> Such a catchy slogan, isn't it? Monetary policy, it's data dependent. Who wouldn't want that T-shirt? Uh, so the euro, just getting back to Europe, uh, so close to parity with the US dollar now. And, um, you know, it, presumably it's just it's, it's going to happen soon, isn't it? particularly with rising energy prices. But uh, well, I think it is uh, the, the, the date, and we talked about this to some extent um, last week. Is you know what happens when the scheduled maintenance on the uh, Nord Stream pipelines yep. uh, finishes? Supposed to be July twenty first, although I gather some spare part or turbine that's stuck in Canada, apparently because of sanctions on Russia, um, could delay the, uh, the completion of that maintenance. But um, if it comes to late uh, July and we see that uh, gas flows haven't materially improved from what are currently levels about a third of normal, um, then I think that will just be proof positive that uh, Vladimir Putin has mm. uh, fully weaponizing gas supplies. Um, that will see markets inevitably having to price in recession in the eurozone economy, but um, which isn't going to stop the um, you know the ECB from getting on with the job. And uh, we had another ECB member, Klaus Not, uh, saying exactly that uh, at the weekend. But um, you know, for the euro currency markets at least, I think the you know the implications for um, for Germany in particular, but the rest of the eurozone. Um, if that is the way things are going to play out, we'll inevitably see um, euro dollar spending time below parity. So energy prices in the UK, that was news over the weekend over there. The, uh, a research firm called Cornwall Insight, who look at the, sort of like the inputs that determine the price cap, which is the, the ceiling that is that uh, providers cannot charge beyond. Uh, and that price cap is skyrocketing and it's more in October. It's going to be more than was expected, they're saying. So £3,244 a year which would be a 150% increase in uh, energy prices in a little over a year, which is, uh, you know, an interesting job for their new PM to try and tackle. Uh, and uh, I did say last time, I don't think it will be Rishi Sunak, uh, but uh, whoever it is, almost certainly, perhaps with the exception of Rishi, you know, they're talking about tax cuts. So that's going to be part of it. So uh, I don't know how that plays into the strength of the pound or the, the future of the, the the British economy, but it's going to be tough whichever way they go. No, absolutely. But, um, you know, again, we sort of hinted at it last week. If we're going to have, uh, you know, easier than other fiscal policy, you know, aimed at trying to uh, 
you know, to shore up some of the support for the Conservative Party. Um, you know, the implication of that is that, that, you know, the economy will be less weak than it otherwise would be. Um, you know, so the flip side is the Bank of England might go harder. And, um, <laughs> you know, and as yeah. we go forward, once we do know the, the, the colour of the new government, who the PM is, I think the fate of the, you know, that, that uh, bill to change the Northern Ireland protocol on the, um, you know, the Brexit withdrawal bill is also going to be important because that risk, uh, effectively, of a blow up there and the EU retaliating, um, you know, and potentially at the extreme, the well, UK reverting go. to WTO rules is, you know, it's still there. It's not sort of nailed on, but it's it's a it's a big fat tail risk that, that also overhangs the pounds. But um, no, exactly. that's no, and it's not going to go away because mm-hmm. they will they will choose a Brexiteer. I mean, they will not choose. Uh, I think we know that with, with, with you know, virtual yeah. certainty. I don't think there are any <laughs> non Brexiteers yeah. in the lineup at the moment, at least, are there? No. So uh, China equity markets having a tough time. We saw this. CPI number over the weekend, two and a half percent year on year. Everyone would love two and a half percent to uh, to be their inflation numbers. Uh, we get their uh, their GDP numbers, of course, in the middle of the week, which you would hope, you know, as lockdowns ease, that's going to start picking up. Well, it will, but that's going to be a Q3, Q4 story. So, um, you know, Q2 numbers mm. that we'll get on, uh, we'll get this week, you know, will reflect the full brunt of the lockdowns in Shanghai and, uh, and other metropolitan areas, uh, which is why markets are looking for a, a quarterly number of minus two and a half or thereabouts anyway. And uh, I was looking back, those quarterly numbers have only been out for about 10 years now. Um, but the only other quarterly decline we've had, obviously, was the, uh, you know, was, was in the, the the thick of the pandemic, essentially. So it is going to highlight the near impossibility, I think, of China achieving this five and a half percent full year growth target, unless there is some serious uh, additional stimulus, you know, beyond the, you know, the news that we had last week about uh, local governments being able to issue more bonds. So um, yes, I think that, mm. um, you know, apart from US CPI, which is on Wednesday, which I think stands proud as the most important statistic this week. Uh, those China numbers bit. will be second uh, second cab off the rank there. And labour force data for Australia as well. Quickly before we go, uh, and New Zealand credit card spending today. It's a quiet, pretty quiet day today, but I mean, that'll be interesting to see because, of course, the RBNZ meets this week as well, uh, as well as the Bank of Canada. Just quickly before we go, is this an elephant in the room question? We've got everything that's going on in Sri Lanka at the moment. And I'm just wondering how, uh, you know, the situation there, uh, they've got inflation over 50%. They've got interest rates over 15%. We've got the uh, Sri Lankan rupees fallen 80% this year. Uh, obviously, that's that's an extreme example, but just emerging markets generally, as we see uh, recession fears growing, we've got the strengthening of the US dollar. This is going to be, and, and, and money is flowing out of uh, emerging market currencies. How are any of these countries going to uh, weather this storm over the uh, over the next six months or so? Well, with with great difficulty is the short answer, at least. And we've seen, you know, with the exception of China, <laughs> you know, despite the the economic weakness we've just talked about. You know, its currency has been sort of rock solid in the last sort of five to six weeks against the US dollar. But every other emerging market currency has been under pressure, um, which inevitably occurs when you've got a combination of rising US interest rates, given there's a lot of foreign currency debt and, um, and a strengthening dollar. And, you know, the, the, the impact of food price inflation um, is, is, is going to hit a lot of emerging market economies where food is obviously such a, a big part yeah. of the basket compared to many developed economies. So, um, you know, it's not, it's not a good look story. Unfortunately, um, apart from Sri Lanka, we haven't had a, an accident, if you like, in EM. But I think it's uh, it's it's a, a real and growing risk as far as uh, you know broader financial market stability. Is yeah, concerned. all right. Always nice to leave on a high note. <laughs> uh, good to talk. You go and watch your tennis now, and uh, we'll catch you again soon. Thanks, Ray.
Well, thanks for. Actually, I don't think he's going. He is going to going to work because I know his boss listens. He's going to go into work, do work, and then watch the tennis at home tonight after the end of his working day. Just to make that very clear. That's it for today. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. Have a good day. See you tomorrow.